wholly in the moment. At last, the train is pulling out of Temple Meads, gathering speed, and Jess holds her breath. Her happy anticipation returns. She feels as if she is embarking on her most important journey so far, leaving university, heading for London, and an unrevealed future. The couple sitting opposite are already unpacking food, cartons and packages and Tupperware boxes, as if they fear they might die of starvation between Bristol and London. Now that she looks at them more closely, she sees a resemblance between them. The pouched cheeks and round, solid bodies remind her of Tweedledee and Tweedledum. They spread the feast out on the table between them, and the woman looks questioningly at Jess, as if she is considering offering her sustenance. Jess feels much too excited to be hungry. She wants to say, I've won an award, a really important one, the David Porteous Botanical Painting Award for Young Artists. I'm going to London to collect it. Isn't it amazing? But she doesn't say it, lest they think she's boasting, or a bit mad. Instead, she stares out of the window and wonders how well she's done in her finals and what kind of degree she might get. The award, she can't control a little bounce in her seat at the thought of it, comes with a cheque for £10,000. Everyone, even her mother and stepfather, is really impressed with this. She regards it as a breathing space, a chance to see whether she might now pursue a career as an artist, rather than her former plan to teach. Her stepfather, however, is still of the opinion that she should get straight on with her teacher training. You can paint in your spare time, he tells her, as if her painting is just a hobby, something she can do on the side. When she tries to explain her passion for it, he reminds her how Anthony Trollope wrote all his books after a hard day's work at the post office. Her stepfather is prosy and didactic, and she wants to scream at him. Her mother always looks anxious, but rather stern at these times of confrontation, which happen more frequently since Jess left school, and Jess knows that she will not be on her side. I think you should listen to him, Jess, she says, irritated by the possibility of argument and the disruption of carefully managed peace in this very controlled environment. He hasn't got where he is today. And Jess listens politely to him, reminded inevitably of the character in that Reggie Perrin TV program. Am I right or am I right? And then does her own thing anyway. In this case, she's considering taking a year out to build on this amazing achievement. Even the sight of Tweedledum and Tweedledee munching their way steadily through sandwiches, pies and chocolate snacks doesn't spoil her absolute joy in this moment. Her thoughts rest anxiously upon the new dress packed in the bag on the rack above her head. Is it suitable for a presentation? And on the telephone conversation she had with Kate Portius, David Portius's widow. Kate sounded friendly enthusiastic about the award, looking forward to meeting her, and Jess is grateful for the phone call. Let's meet up before the presentation, Kate suggested. Why don't we, or will you be too busy with your family? No, 
Jess answered, slightly embarrassed. She has no close family on hand to offer support or encouragement, or share her joy. No siblings or cousins. Her only surviving grandparent lives in Australia, and she doesn't want to go into details about mum being too busy with some diplomatic function to be able to get over for the presentation. But two friends from uni will be at the ceremony. Great. Look, I'll give you my address. David's daughter kept his studio, and she lets me use it when I'm in London. I was his second wife, you see. When are you planning to travel? I'm coming up from Cornwall the day before. They talked for a little longer, and so the arrangement was made. Jess would meet Kate at David's studio, his actual studio, where he'd done most of his work, and then they'd go out for supper and talk about what life.